Hey, Bobarino, what we doing today? Well, Kevin No Reno, does that even work? We're going to talk about what is simple in regards to code because nobody can agree. Uh, we're also going to maybe talk a little bit about pull request etiquette, I guess is the term. And we're probably going to breeze through our favorite website, Recode, a little bit and see what Bob and Kevin have been paying attention to and ignoring the past couple of weeks. It's been a while since we've done a show. I'm Bob. That's Kevin. Say hey. Hey. And uh, here we go. All right. Let's do this. Um, so uh, let's start with, uh, it's been a while since we've done an episode live, or I guess that we're not live, but fresh content episode right so it's been a at least a few weeks right it's yeah it's definitely been a minute as the kids say these days so i'm in the middle of uh selling my home and kids are out of school and gosh you know life is happening all along the way so uh that's my excuse what's yours uh my excuse i'm not selling my home just yet but uh took a family vacation all five of us, rare, rare occasion. And uh, we headed out west, started in Vegas, and took nine days to drive to Denver. So we stopped at a lot of places along the way. Yeah, so I saw some of the Instagram uh, stuff, and it looked like scenes directly out of Westworld on HBO. Um, so I got to ask, uh, how is Dolores, and what is she up to? Uh, we the, the best part about the trip is we did not run into many people or... Uh, automatons, bots, as the case may be. Um, we got really lucky. Last summer, we did the Yellowstone thing, and it was just person on top of people, on top of children, on top of pets. And this year, it was much more uh, desolate and remote. So that, was, that part was great. Well, I, I'm jealous. I've never been like out in the wilderness west of the Mississippi, and I'm it's got to be on my bucket list. Um, uh, it is. So I'm jealous. Um, what was the best part? We stayed in this place just outside of Moab called The Last Hurrah. And to get to The Last Hurrah, you have to go over the Hurrah Pass. And the Hurrah Pass is not paved, not guardrailed. And I think it's got a... 3,000-ish foot climb and a 3,000-ish foot descent to get to the Colorado River Valley on the other side of the Hurrah Pass. So we were out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I did not drive. I'm not, I'm not good with heights and uh, definitely not good with driving cars I'm not familiar with. So my rock star wife tackled it. Um, she wept when we got to the other side of the pass when we got there. The plan was is we were going to be pretty fluid and could come and go. But uh, once we got over the pass, we decided we would not leave until it was time to depart. <laughs> wow. See any wildlife, like any snakes or, you know, standard scary things? So we were definitely on the lookout for rattlesnakes. Um, we were in the, you know, Moab Desert, basically, by the Colorado River. Uh, not, not a whole lot of plant life, a lot of rocks and a lot of heat. But we did not see any rattlesnakes. So that's good. We did see some bighorn sheep. Those things are crazy because they will just run up the side of a rock face. Gravity apparently does not matter to them. <laughs> so that was pretty trippy. Um, and we stayed in this thing called a uh, 
what is it? What do they call it? They called it a shoot. Oh, uh, Hogan. We thought it was Hogan. We heard it called Hogan. Hogan. So it's a Native American uh, mud hut, basically. So it's got octagonal timbers all the way around until it closes the octagon. And then they pack mud over the top of that. So it had concrete floor with some really cool uh, pressed concrete Native American designs in it. So it was pretty authentic. But Mm -hmm. we were sleeping on a concrete floor with futon mattresses. But it was a good size. But you couldn't beat the views. Our back porch was just glorious. How dark did it get at night? Dark, Uh, dark. Another thing that the boys and I really loved, uh, we were the three of us were the only ones that really stayed up for dark, dark. But um, yeah, you could see pretty much every sky or every star in the sky, every planet, uh, easy to find satellites, uh, shooting stars, pretty regular. It was did pretty you, crazy. Did you see the Milky Way stripe at all? Like a little fade of purple or something? Not so much color, but you could definitely like in and around all the stars, there was tons of other star dust like you know things that are too far away or you know probably the milky way because we're i think we're part of that right uh yes bob yes yes we are are in the milky way so yeah so i mean but it wasn't like it wasn't like sheet of black with you know star star it was sheet of gray because it was just littered with you know glowing yeah it's pretty crazy so it's definitely some some big sky in utah as well even though montana claims that that's Definitely. So I love astronomy. I love uh, astrophysics. So I've never been in completely dark, dark outdoor night because of all the freaking light pollution everywhere I've ever been. So uh, color me jealous. Yeah, it was. I highly recommend it. Um, The way that we did it, I think it was super fun. We stayed a couple days in each place and we kind of mixed it up where it was semi resort type place that we would stay and then we would totally rough it in some place that you know like the last hurrah or um we stayed in a hostel in colorado in fort collins so that was pretty cool too so uh, we definitely mixed it up it was a great trip highly recommend it all right well uh, so wait i got a technology question about selling your house yes did you utilize any technology in selling your house or how did you Uh, how did you sell your house well um, we got a real estate agent and they, ah, let's see, I'm trying to think. So weird thing is, is they put up a website with my address as the domain and put, put that on top of the for sale sign. So people driving by, I would put in my address.com and there's my house. So that was kind of new and different. Didn't expect that. So you being a security and privacy guy, did that freak you out at all? That well, there's a domain of your address now? Not really, because Google's already been <laughs> taking satellite photos of my home. Uh, where you live is public information, thanks to government records. Uh, it's not that hard, so not really. I mean, it didn't ex- it didn't like take me over the limit any more than I already was. So, just one more piece of information about you out there, though. Now you know buying a house or selling a house either. There's a lot of paperwork that goes back and forth and it was all it's so far it's been 100% digital. I haven't seen an actual hard copy of anything yet. Yeah, it's been 17 17 years since we closed on this house, so it'd be interesting to see how different it is now. I'd be shocked if there's not just a 
stack of papers when you go to close out? Yeah, so we close next week, but so far, like the back and forth inspections and you know all that, it's all been digital, which is pretty amazing. So I am imagining that closing will have some hard copies, especially like the you know, the, the day before when you get to look for all the errors and stuff, it'll probably be hard copy. Um, but day of signing, not sure what to expect. So I'm hoping we've kind of moved to a digital document society in regards to mortgages, at least. So yeah, does that satisfy your technology? Need? It does. I, I didn't remember if you guys used a realtor or not. And if you didn't, I was going to be, you know, asking all kinds of questions because you sold it in like some ridiculous amount of minutes, right? 13 hours. Uh, yeah, I can't multiply 13 times 60 in my head very <laughs> 600 plus another RSC. I can't do it. So <laughs> 780 minutes or something. I don't know. Still not, still not a bunch of time. No, but we're pending. So, you know, we still got to get to closing, but uh, yeah, exciting times, scary times. Same. Yeah, it's bittersweet. Been here for better part or nine years. So. Time to uh, turn the page on life again, go to the next chapter. So, Congratulations. Well, thank you. All right. So we were going to talk about uh, code, huh? What are we going to yeah, talk we'll about? we'll talk about a few things. I think we need to work into you know, some new episodes here. So hopefully this doesn't come off as just blase, but, uh, you know, some things that kind of like scratch my head on stuff. And one of them is, is when somebody says, Guys, keep it simple, stupid, the KISS method. And I always look at that and go, gosh, I, I, I understand the intent of that, but I also think it's completely stupid at the same time because everyone's notion of what simple is is such a function of where they've been and where they are and where they're probably going in life and who is totally influencing them along the way. And I think there's a lot of groupthink combined in there too, and not just because, you know, anything special. Groupthink is everywhere, you know. Hey, the group thinks this, and so I guess I kind of, yeah, I don't want to swim against the current. So, Bob, the KISS method, um, how would you define what is simple and what isn't? Because your simple and my simple, I can almost guarantee you, are different planetary systems. Not even different zip codes, planetary. Right. Oh, no, you're 100% right. But I think a great litmus test for simple, especially as it relates to code, is how easily a project can be transferred from one entity to another and it be expanded upon and or maintained. So if it takes a long time or it can't even be, the knowledge can't even be transferred. Like if I work on something and I hand it off to you, based on the statement that you made earlier about our definitions of simple being universes away, I'm going to guess with pretty close to certainty that I'm going to be able to hand that off to you quite quote unquote simply because you're going to understand it. And I would say, I, uh, so I would say actually up front, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. And here's why. <laughs> because, um, it has a lot to do with audience. So simple has to have context. You can't just say, keep it simple because without context, you really are a, a, a boat with no rudder. So, well, you know, my simple, your simple. So if we, if our definitions of simple are together or similar, I, I would say you're 
you're true. But since we're different, it's, it's like woodworking, coding. We're talking about coding, especially here in this context. We can both build a table, you and I. They can both have four legs. They both have a, a tabletop. So functional requirements are there. Now we can, we can decide, okay, well, I like Victorian legs and, and you like modern legs. Well, they're both tables, but they're two different things. And you've chosen metal and I've chosen wood. So I guess it's not just woodworking. We're, going, we're in the furniture business. <laughs> so so when, if you hand me your metal table, I may go, yeah, it's a table, but I don't do metal. I don't get this. And conversely, if I give you my wooden Victorian table, you might look at it and say, well, A, I don't do wood, and B, Victorian's is not my style, guys. And so I think when somebody, because I, I feel like when people say keep it simple, I think it's, it's a placeholder for guys, do it my way. And I know that's just like, whoa, what? So I, I think when people say keep it simple, they're really, I think it's like this like Freudian psychology of way of people saying, guys, I wouldn't do it that way. So if, if I look at yours and I say that's too hard, in my mind, I really think that's what some, somebody is telling me that, guys, that's just not the way I would do it. And then, so the, the, the fear I have is when, when, when party A tells the party B, guys, that's too hard. Keep it simple. I, I, I'll translate that for you. I'll hear, oh, party A, you would do it differently. But the, it's may, it may, the simpler complexity is undefined. It's that stupid JavaScript variable that we couldn't find it, but it's in the console over here. Undefined. Because you can't really define simple versus complex without context or without bias. Go, Bob. I have not seen the, <laughs> the bias part is the part that's throwing me off because you're saying I can get context. Mm -hmm. You know, context for simplicity is probably incredibly paramount. But when you start to bring in bias, when I hear bias, I, the word that, that resonates in my head is ego. Yes. And there's no room for simplicity and ego to exist together. Um, when somebody says, I don't like it because it's not my style, mm -hmm. that can indicate their lack of willingness to expand their horizons. Correct. That can indicate their fear of being exposed for only being a one-trick pony. Um, you know, so there's all kinds of egotistical things when, and that's why I fall back to the explanation, the litmus test of if I can hand it off, and explain it because you've built stuff that was complicated, right? Absolutely. Like, but, but you've made it in such a way that it's modular, modular and easy to explain and can simply be used by someone else. We'll see, but all right. So let, let me, let me, let me, let me go. It's my volley. So I will say there's a lot to do with ego because I really think when somebody says, guys, it's too complicated. I really hear the guys, that's not the way I would do it. And really it's just a function of, I think it's too complicated. So therefore I think it isn't simple. Whereas if I change bodies and change experiences, that that's the bias, you know, life bias, not like, like evil, but uh, malevolent bias, just your life, you know, You've, your upbringing in the career of coding, 
if if um, if I start saying, "Oh, that's simple," I also think that's biased too. Because what's sim- I mean, how many times you hear people, "What's simple for you isn't simple for them," and so I think we have a lot of people. I, I just I, I just loathe the comment, "Hey, can we keep it simple?" But I'm I kind of throw my hands up and go, "Your simple, my simple will never." I mean, impedance mismatch. We will never agree. You know, certain people, and uh, I, I I do really think so. You had a second point there and I'm totally losing it. So we had the ego and we had what else? Um, no, I think I came back to just like, cause I, the bias and the ego being parallel. And then I just came back to that litmus test. Oh, and some of it is, you know, when you're developing something. So like, this is the also part of the conversation developing versus you know, developing and sharing in the development, like in a team development environment, or developing and handing off to another vendor, possibly, or future future dev team. So you're not building with them, but you're building potentially with another vendor in mind. So you reminded me of my other topic. So uh, let's say I created a project that is uh, able to take other things and put them together and make it so you can make a list of other things. So let's just say I made a project like that. And let's just say that some people have accused me of making it way too complicated. And I will say, well, let's, let's, let's again, back to the audience. So the people who use that software, it's actually very simple in my mind because I'm hiding all their complexity. Apparently, that's what software engineers are supposed to do. Take something that's hard, shoulder the hard stuff, and then make it easy for the end user. So, you know, if, if we satisfy that condition, great. But is it still simple? Because now developer X is going to come along. Hey, I would like to add a feature to this complicated thing on the thing that you made simple for the user, but it's complicated on our side. So they're going to look at it and go, well, this is just really complicated. So it's like I can't win because... I've made it easy for the user, but for the developer, it's difficult to contribute to. So I propose to you that something can be simple and complicated at the same time. Um, I tend to I tend to agree that agree with that because we've already established that context is important. Yes. So if you have the context of the user, simplicity, the the user experience could, like you said, it could be shouldering and mask masking the complexity of the problem being solved. Now, if you're working in a closed system and people aren't going to add features on to your stuff, then then mission accomplished. But if you're in a group think and people are going to be either trying to strap things onto that or inject other functionality, then then complexity comes in. So now it's almost like you have a two-sided mirror that you have to, you know, you have to be able to reflect simplicity in multiple directions, and that might not be possible. Well, that's it's um it's uh you know I don't know there's probably a great analogy for this, but I usually use the fitted bed sheet. Now you try to put on the fitted bed sheet, three corners fit great. When it t- comes time to put on that fourth one, it's just never enough material. It seems. You, try, you pull it that hard as you can, and, you, and another corner pops up. It's just like, well, you can have three of the four, Kevin. You can't have four of the four. So in the context of simple, I really think it's one of those placeholder. It's almost like a cliche 
hey, somebody's going to say, keep it simple, knowing full well, or maybe they don't know, that that's not necessarily always possible because somebody will find it complicated. Or in order to make it simple on this side of the equation, the other side of the equation has to be god-awfully complicated. And, you know, it's like we can't have our cake and eat it too. And if we try to keep that equation balanced, we end up with a, I don't know, a impotent product for lack of a better term. It's like, well, it, it tries to keep, it's, it's the classic, well, we're trying to keep everyone happy. Well, don't stop. Don't. And, and so that's why it's difficult. I think. Well, all right. So I'm going to take this even in a different direction and possibly ask some controversial questions here too. Not of oh. you, just like in general. So when we're talking about keeping it simple and we're talking about even my point of view where, if in the litmus test, you can hand it off and somebody else can understand it, that means it's simple. Why does that have to be a thing anyway? Like, we, we technically, we probably both have a developer in our title. Mm-hmm. We're not equal. I don't understand things that you understand, even fundamental things. So I shouldn't probably be your litmus test. And even in a team, I don't think everyone on the team should have the same exact level of comprehension. I'm a big fan of specialization, not generalization. So I don't need to have a team that has 20, you know, unicorn senior full stack, you know, wizard developers. I don't need that. I need, I need a couple people at the top that can have vision and make complex things seem simple. I need a middle layer that can actually see the complex vision of the layer above it and make it functional, like probably cut out the, uh, you know, the, the fantasy part of the, you know, over complex visionary above them. And then you need the foot soldiers down at the bottom that are actually just going to take modular approach to their code and actually create functional entities that, that become the Lego blocks that build the simply complex thing that somebody else had envisioned. And the people at the bottom, the foot soldiers, don't need to have any comprehension of what the people at the top are trying to do. You know, you and I talked offline about, you know, starting businesses. And if we were to, you know, I said, if I were to start a business, it sounds very much like what you're saying, that I don't need to go out and find another developer to start a business. I need to find somebody who complements me skill set wise, because gosh darn it, I've got my skill set down good enough where I say, you know what? You go do your thing well. I'll do my thing well, and I got you. I I I'm in, I got it. So and that works well um, when you have two people. So the instant you have to share your code base with the first person, you start having to work out team dynamics. Like, well, we should put our curly braces here, not there. We should uh, name our variables like this. We should use var instead of uh, you know the, the the actual type name. And then you start figuring out, you know, some, a few things. You start figuring out whether or not you're going to get along with this person or not. <laughs> or you're going to figure out, um, I think a little ego kicks in and goes, hmm, I'll either be the one pulling or the one getting pulled here in this relationship. I mean, you know, uh, who, who's carrying the most weight? Ideally, you're both carrying weight. So I, I do have the luxury that I do have a small group of people, probably three or four that we've, we've kind of evolved all together over the last five years and we work well together. So I know this, we're really evolving this conversation. 
but chemistry is very important. So to tie it back to simple, if, if two people don't have chemistry or groups of people don't have the same sort of how I would do it, I think it affects their what's simple and what's not. There's my bias. That's my thesis. That, that's the reason that when somebody says, keep it simple, it's like, well, that's like no context and completely biased, even though you don't realize it when you say it, in, in, in my humble opinion. So where does the element of trust play into simplicity? Because mm. I can trust you. It, it's not even to make it as simple. It's to make the right choices. So we've all, we've all known projects, products that, that became overly complex. Not, not even talking about keeping it simple. They've just, they have, uh, you know, what's not Mandela, but what's that, that spiral thing that keeps going on into infinity? What is that mathematical art thing called? Uh, the fractal. Golden- Oh, the fra- fractal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it fractals out of control because it's spiders and it gets, you, you start yeah. repeating functionality, repeating, you know, and what happens is it gets overly complex, overly abstracted, and then it just grinds to a halt. We've all known those situations. Those are probably situations where someone's been trusted too much, in my opinion. But Not I think trust. Internal controls. Yeah. Yep. Trust and simplicity, I think, have to go hand in hand in this conversation. Well, let me give you another just crazy Kevin analogy. So I've worked at big companies. I've worked at little companies. The big companies are very structured. They have supervisors, middle managers, C-brass, directors, and a load of foot soldiers. Small companies have very few people. Everyone's a foot soldier and three other jobs at the same time. And your HR department is a matter of slacking so-and-so or stopping so-and-so because he or she happens to be an owner and that's just the way it works. So eventually as that small business grows towards being that larger company, and not all companies want to, and and I really don't like it when companies get too big, they eventually hit around 20 employees where they're like, guys, we need to play with big boy rules or big girl rules. And we have to be a real company now. We have to have real HR rules. We have to put the real OSHA warning at, up the, on the wall. We have to, uh, you know, do this. We have to do that. And then, you know, kind of everyone in the small company who remembers it when it was four or five people kind of looks at each other and goes, ah, we've gone corporate, you know, and, and we kind of shake our head. So code does the same thing. So Sorry, I do have a point here. So when we start the project, it's easily managed, right? Just like that five-person company. Hey, all we got to do is we, we, we have like two, two classes and we, you know, a few hundred lines of code. This is easy. All we got, oh, you got to change, no problem. I go in there. The one developer can handle that. Now we have two developers. Hey, I'll show you the two classes. That's all you need to know. Easy. Okay, well, fast forward to that larger company. Let's call it a, whatever, whatever we decide is, okay, this code base is no longer small, guys. It, it's, it's, a hell, it's, it's an aircraft carrier at this point. So it's very hard to transmit the history of this project. The reason we've gone this route instead of that ideal route that you would totally see now being the new person is this, and you don't get the benefit of all that information. So the new person's going to look at this and go, man, this is just way too complicated. Let's make it simple. And, you know, we just have this endless cycle of it depends and we don't know and your simple is not my simple. And 
as a code base gets larger, if it's not well-structured, or even if it is well-structured, we hit what's called impedance, you know, like electrical impedance. The more energy you put in the wire, the more it's going to resist on you. It's just like, okay, we're barely making any progress at this point. So I think projects eventually hit a point where the it's a, um, what is it? Uh, oh, diminishing returns. You know, the more effort we put into this, the less work we're getting done. What the hell's going on, guys? We've opened up 200 tickets. Why haven't these been done? Well, A, we have 200 tickets and we have three people who know what's going on. They're all burned out and they can't agree on where to put the freaking curly braces. And, and it's because they're more worried about that. And then uh, nobody can agree on simple and complicated because so-and-so has read the blog over here on how we should have been doing it this way the whole time. And she, he, she's mad that Fred over here hasn't, you know, read any articles because Fred just clocks out at five and goes, so that's where, you know, just getting this crazy cycle of context and bias on what is simple and what is not. Because I will come to a, a conversation that says, hey, guys, make it more simple. And go, well, wait a second, we're committing this, they're committing this uh, pattern or this, this uh, thing that, oh, well, that happened on my last project. Why would you do that? And we'll never settle this. Sorry, that was a long rant. No, no, that's totally fine. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of, uh, I don't have a lot of field of experience because I've even in my larger job roles, it's still been on smaller teams. Uh, it's probably important to note here that any of the opinions expressed by Bob during this podcast are expressly Bob's opinions. Nobody else's. And nobody else's. Check my Twitter profile because I think I have it written in there as well. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if simple gets, gets defined. I mean, like, first of all, I got to, who in an organization is the one who dictates where curly braces go? Um, honestly, it's not within the organization. So if you're a PHP land, um, you're on your own as far as I know, because it's been a while since I'm PHP and that was the Wild West. JavaScript, there's very clear, like, I don't want to call them industry standards or best practices because I hate the word best practices, but there's the, well, you, the JavaScript way, and then there's the C sharp way. And so I've had other people come in um, and say, no, 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 we, we put our curly braces here. And I just look at them like I'm going to, it's a thousand yard stare. I'm like, no, we aren't. And I will fight you to the death. <laughs> so I don't yeah, think internally you do. Does it, but isn't the biggest part of that, the readability of someone else looking ah, at the code? Ah, Bob, you opened up yet another can of worms. Readability is also just as subjective as simple versus complicated. My oh. readable and your readable are probably a lot closer than simple and complicated are, <laughs> but, but they're probably still different. And uh, what, what, okay. So we, we've kind of said, okay, yeah. So we can't figure out readability or simplicity. So what gives Kevin? So allow me a little bit of, well, what would you do? Really? You just have to get team chemistry together and you guys will say hey i mean tom fulton my boss when i started working uh emulus in 2013 he's very nice about it but he's like we don't we, we put a space before an equal sign and one after because kevin didn't and we he called those scrunchy operators don't don't have scrunchy operators kevin plus sign minus sign they have to have a space and eventually i was like 
wow, I can't believe they actually have a rule for like, oh, I mean, at first I was taken aback because I was used to do whatever I want because it was the one man show. Oh, yeah. I don't have to answer to anybody. But Tom is super tidy in a really cute way, though. Yep. And I, <laughs> I, I appreciate, though, his attention to detail. Because I mean, I'm very OCD now about my spaces. I, I will not have an extra space. You know, I'll have to have all my clothes and curly braces all in separate lines, but, you know, all nicely cascading in a, in a nice, you know, slope. Readable. Um, Highly readable. Yeah, exactly. So one thing I think really helps is ReSharper because ReSharper comes with a set of rules out of the box. So to answer your question, we use ReSharper rules. And we, we don't, we take what, what's out of the box. We don't even have any exceptions. Actually, I take that back. We have one exception. It wants the word wrap. Uh uh-uh. no, uh-uh. no word wrapping for this. That, that makes code really hard to read in my opinion. Yes. So that's the only rule I've overridden ever. And we take the ReSharper rules. And I love ReSharper because ReSharper will get pissed. It'll be like, hey, 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 you've named this variable wrong. It needs to look like this. And I'm going to put a green squiggly under this. And I know it's going to bother the shit out of you, Kevin, <laughs> until you fix me. <laughs> And I and damn it, it's right because I will. I see it and I gotta right click it and go. Let's fix this. And so I really wish there was a resharper plugin for Notepad plus plus. Anybody out there listening, please write one. Yeah, good good luck with that. Probably <laughs> I know there is one. Um, Sublime might have stuff like that. Yeah, I'm sure it does. VS Code might have all that. I think VS Code does have integration with some of that stuff. I mean, it definitely will squiggle stuff for you. So, so um, I don't know how much more effort we can put into i think simplicity complexity readability we'll throw that one in there it's so subjective and it's so like i think it's a, a cop out when somebody says oh keep it simple guy um yeah what insert placeholder text here because i don't i don't listen to that whatever i think this actually is a really good segue to the next topic because a lot of the things that we've talked about in this uh discussion about simplicity come into play with committing or submitting pull requests to various software projects because some of those projects do have rules about curly braces and some of them have rules about variable declarations. So um, one of the other things that Kevin and I were interested in chatting a little bit about tonight was um, pull request etiquette. Is that kind of what we decided? Yeah. It's kind of like, so when somebody makes a pull request, what should be the life cycle of regardless of the, the the software, the platform, the product, just what's a what would be a societal norm for the All expectation right. of a pull request? I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one head on. Run so it because I ran or we um, I formerly ran and I guess still like in abs in absentia. Uh, running the archetype one, we're, we're nearing 200,000 downloads. I've sunset the project. We're no longer doing anything on it. However, at our, during our heyday, we used to get a pull request maybe once a month. And that was, you know, that's saying a lot, you know, for my first, like, wow, people actually give a shit uh, and they're sending me a pull request. So first thing I would do is freak out that I got a pull request. That's step one. Step two, I would go, well, what the hell is it that it does? You know, is it, is it, bring magical unicorn code to my repo? Is this like fixing all the problems? Is is this like whatever? And sometimes yes is the answer. And sometimes it's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? What are you trying to do here? 
And so what I like to do is I like to get the gist of it. You know, okay, this is what it's meant to do. What's the implementation? I just kind of scan through it. And then I, I mean, within the five minutes of reading it, I'll say to, uh, to the person, A, thank you for using this, this project and thank you for spending your time to contribute to this project. Because okay, so step one, step one acknowledgement of the pull request. Yes. And timely. Timely acknowledgement. Um, I mean, because acknowledgement, if you're on the other side of that, holy shit, the guy who runs this project just sent me a, a, a thing. Sweet. You know, <laughs> you know, you're going to make their day. Now, little do they know, you might be like, oh, hell no, we're not merging this. Oh, hell no. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell them that right now. I'm going to thank him or her. I'm going to thank them. So next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of look through and go, all right, um, what's, what's the hygiene of this code? You know, does it, does it look like it's written by somebody who's crossing their T's, dotting their I's for the most part? Not 10 out of 10 here. 8 out of 10 would be good, you know? Do I agree with everything? Yes or no? Eh, that's the thing. Okay. So if it kind of looks legit, so to speak, you know. So the, the hygienic part of it would also be that you can follow what it's trying to do. Correct. Yeah. So there's your subjective readability, subjective bias that, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. And whether or not people acknowledge that they do that, they totally do. They totally look at other people's code and go, well, I wouldn't do it like that. <laughs> you know, I would do it like this. I've so. seen public threads on pull requests where there's been suggestions of like, oh, I would have probably approached that this way, you know? So yeah, it and, happens. And, that, and that's okay. Um, so once I look through it, I, I usually check out the code and I actually test it out. Does it do what it actually says it does? And if it does, great. And then next thing I got to do is, all right, does this break anything that's already working fine? And how would I know? That's where unit tests come in. And I know unit tests are outside the scope of this conversation, but let's say as long as my unit tests still pass, great. And if they include a new unit test for their new stuff, that's even better. So, you know, I just got to make sure, does it still work based on your stuff? You know, your changes. Did you break anything? Do we have any breaking changes? Because a breaking change is almost a guaranteed, nope, not going to happen. Right. Now, is a unit test something that a lot of repos would expect to come with a pull request? Um, or is that well, like a nice to have? It, it's a nice to have and completely charged with controversy because, hell, I think <laughs> unit tests are easy, simple. <laughs> Other people are like, WTF are you doing with unit tests? I don't even understand how they use them. I don't even know how to structure code. And that's great and that's fine. No problem. So that's why if you make that a strict requirement, you, you're going to really trim the herd of who yeah. can contribute to you. So I would say the, the best thing to do is when you're getting one pull request a month and you don't want to ruin that is to not have to require it. But what's the trade-off? Risk, right? Well, maybe this did break something and I just don't know it. Oh, well, I guess I'll test everything A to Z, but you know what? We actually won't test A to Z. We'll, we'll check D, E, and F, D, E, and F, and Q, R, S, because I know those are the gooey bits that still got to work, you know? And no, you like, definitely hey. got to test elemental P. Okay, we'll see. See, so you've done this before. <laughs> so once I've done that, well, I, I might immediately say, sorry, I don't like, you know, there's just no chance of this. Um, but usually before I say there's no chances, I would, we had a, a little small core team and only a few people participated, but like Ken Jacobson, I'd be like, Hey man, what do you think of this? And he'd be like, I don't know. I'll check it out on Saturday. I'm like, fucking a, 
At least he didn't say, I don't fucking know. He at least said, hey, I'll check it out. <laughs> fucking A, you know? So uh, he checks it out. And I get his view, too, or somebody else's, because I, I don't want to view the universe through one set of glasses. I want to say, okay, I know I started this repo, blah, blah, blah. I feel like the owner of this repo. But you know what? What is, what is, a, what is somebody who's not me think of this, but somebody who knows how the project works? I think that's very important because I could just be like, nope, not going to do it. And I could miss something awesome. Or conversely, I could say, hey, that looks awesome. And then I could have Ken come by and say, you know what? Hey, man, hold on now. Time out. Take a knee, drink water here. Do you realize what's going on here? I'd be like, ah, yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. You know, so, so I think it's very important to have that um, sense of uh, code aware or code um, uh, literate you know, my code base specifically, not just do you know C-sharp or JavaScript. Do you know the code base? Do you get the intent of how the shit is supposed to work here? Well, it's yeah. Like, if, you're, if you're monitoring pull requests, you should probably have some working knowledge of the code base that you're helping monitor pull requests for. Right. And all of this is happening time-wise. So we acknowledge right away. Thank you. We'll get back to you. So I would, I would say before we check it out and test it out a week, two weeks tops, because we got real jobs. This is open source software. Typically, we're not, you know, we're not making any money directly. We, well, we people aren't to. making pull requests against closed source software, are they? Um, internally, they are. Internally, yes. Okay. But I guess if we qualify, but there's an internal process in place in an internal yeah. organization. All right, fair enough. So yeah, I guess we're we're let's scope the conversation to public open source software. Um, so that and so that person put in time. So first off, I'm thanking them for putting in time. I may not want your shit, but thank you. <laughs> and uh, once we get it and we look at it, we'll put through its paces. And at that point, we'll know probably right away. Yeah, this is this is going to add value, or this is not going to add value. And um, if it's going to add value, the next step of the process is is give it a bath if it needs it. Hey, let's let's move this here. Let's rename that there. Okay, I see what we're doing here. Okay, hey, let me just let me let me do this my way real quick, and I can do that, or I can send it back for revisions. However, if I send it back for revisions and I want it a certain way, I'm going to have to spend all my time articulating all that. So, um, I don't want to have to articulate that sometimes, and I'll just do it, and then it's merged, and then I say, hey, dude, or hey, uh, what person. Person. Thank you. Um, it's merged. Thank you very much. Um, and then one of the things that I used to do with the archetype handle was if you become a contributor, I start following you on Twitter with my archetype handle. That's the only way you get followed by that account. So over time, that became kind of like, you know, well, the people who I follow on that account are the contributors. And, and, and I know it's minor. But every little thing I think you can do to reward somebody, because you can't give them any money. I mean, the project made no direct money. Right. But th that's, uh, that's what I think you should do. And so I think you owe them acknowledgement. I think you owe them, hey, thank you, but we're going to not, we're going to pass on this. And that has to happen within probably two weeks. Or we like it, we're going we're gonna to clean it up and we're going to merge it or we're going to send it back for revisions. This all needs to happen probably within a month from life cycle. What say you? Uh, I think the size of the project is going to dictate that length of time a lot, but I like that there's the defined steps. And I think that, you know, letting the contributor know sooner than later, you know, if 
if the pull request is even going to be considered and then get it off the books if it's not going to be considered. Um, it, it just, it seems like if, if you want your project, and you said this about the archetype uh, Twitter thing, you know, follow the contributors, reward the contributors. You know, if you want that, that path, that cycle of contribution and reward to continue, the reward has to continue and the acknowledgement has to continue. So, I mean, I know that there's larger projects where they struggle with this. And that, you know, I don't know if it's because the software is larger and there's staffing issues. Like, let's say if Archetype got giant, you're not going to be adding staff. It's still just going to be, you know, that small core team. So that could put a strain on that process. But I feel like in, a, in an open source community type project, that process is like paramount to have it in place. I think it's in the place early. Yeah. If, yeah. If, if, if you want an open source project to continue, you're going to have to, you know, have to respect people's time because I think the biggest pet peeve is the three-year-old pull request that's still open. That's got 15 merge conflicts because the core base has moved on three times or probably way more than that. And no acknowledgement. And it's like, Hey, wait a second. I took time to try to extend your project or fix a bug. And it's been three years and nothing. I mean, indecision is terrible. So I would rather just be told, you know what? Thank you, but no thank you. Early on, and then we have closure because I think people, when they don't get closure, they get discouraged and they're like, well, what was the point of that? So I, but do you think it's just, a, do you think it's a Deadpool because they don't want to say, no, we're not going to use your stuff? Or I just don't understand why they don't work themselves off the books because obviously if a pull, pull request is that old, it won't work now anyway, even if it was rock solid gold when it was first submitted. And if somebody has kept, uh, kept it up to date for three years, holy shit, get a hobby because clearly... <laughs> clearly they don't want it and you need to find something else for your time. So yeah, I'm with you. So really what that developer, if it's three years old, it's probably moved on to other things. It may not even use whatever project it was. And so you might try the tact of, well, you know, if it's older than six months old, we know it's pretty dang out of date. And if you really feel like we need to come do this, um, we're going to close this and you're going to need to send us the fresh PR and, thousand pardons and we will do better next time and um but yeah just get them off the books <laughs> that's what yeah. i would say it seems like it, it it's a it's a better pr move to have a cleaner pr public relations uh -huh. better public relations move to have a clean pr docket all right so in the pull same vein docket Archetype would have issues and we'd have pull requests, two separate things. Usually right. an issue had a related pull request if there was a fix or something like that. Or if it was a new feature, hey, explain it in an issue. Issues, I know for Archetype, could go year, two, three, four years old just because A, it's a known bug that we won't fix. B, it's a feature that we never got around to or we never got a pull request for it because we just don't have time to implement it. So do you think it's different for an issue versus a pull request? I, I still think that the, the key features or the key like milestones that we talked about, the acknowledgement, I think that's important early. Um, obviously, if you know it falls into that category of known bug 
or feature that we don't think we're going to get to, put that in the acknowledgement. But yeah, I mean, I get it. People that don't have a pull request behind their issue probably aren't equipped to do the pull request, but they are equipped to identify the issue. And I think that's okay. You don't, just because you have an issue doesn't mean you have to have the fix. It's kind of like, I mean, old adage is if you're going to complain about something, you better have the answer. Well, that works in general and like conversation, but not so much in code because, hey, this is broke. I don't know how your code works. I just know it doesn't work. It's totally valid for me because that's where the core team for archetype or whatnot would have to step up and say, okay, is this a big deal? and whatnot, uh, is it verifiable? But that takes time, that takes resources. And on a small open source project, the return on that investment is very, very small. You know what I used to do, right or wrong, I see your issue, I, I acknowledge them just like I do a PR. Thank you for submitting this. I will try to replicate your problem if I can. And if I can, then I'll, I'll say, yeah, that's a, that's a real bug. If I can't, I'll say that too. I'll be like, I don't know, man. It could be environment, it could be your whatever you're plugged into um but i think i, I want those responses on the issue tracker for archetype <laughs> <laughs> but what i can't do is guarantee i'll fix it because generally my should i fix it or not comes down to this does it affect me personally does it affect my project or does is it a critical bug like security or it's such a massive bug it's affecting most of the user base and i know that seems very selfish but a lot of people would say, well, I have this edge case or can you add this one feature here? Yes, we could, but we're not going to right now. And you know what? I'll add it as soon as I need that feature too. And I know that sounds terrible, but based on what I get paid for this project, that's how it's going to work. Well, I think that's, that's a, a very valid conversation to have too. I think most people that contribute to open source projects, it, you know, if you take a, a hard look at it, most of those were not like, uh, you know, out of the kindness of their heart to give to the world of using the software. It solved a problem that they needed for a project. And it just so happened that it solved a lot of other people's problems. But Correct. I think one of the first big realizations that those open source contributors experience when they do something like that, yes, they solved a problem that a lot of other people had, but they didn't fully solve the problem that everyone could have and that's where they get slammed with the feature requests and the issues and the and you're like ah yes i want to do that and then to bring it back to the first conversation simple versus complex a lot of times feature requests would be very specific hey i have this very specific thing that i need your thing to do and really it's very you know it's very specialized to what i need to do a lot of times we just say sorry we can't that's just like such a one-off feature and then conversely, we would say, well, I see your feature there. How can we make it so it has broader appeal? It'll, it'll cover your use case and then maybe like the generic use case too. But you got to be careful when you do that. If you make everything just so generic that it's, that's exactly what it is. It's a vanilla thing. Well, it almost does what we need to do here. It just needs this one thing, but they wanted to keep it so it's very generic. And so, you know... That's where I'm a big fan of extension points. Hey, well, great. Can can we make it extensible? And um, <laughs> for archetype, we basically have plugins for the plugin, um, so you can you can do additional things 
you can plug into archetype in, in several ways. And that's just like mind blowing. And a lot of people look at that and go, Oh, you're making it too complicated now. Well, <laughs> I am, but nobody's asking you to use these features and nobody's asking you. I, I've never got a pull request from you. So I'm not so sure what's so complicated because I, as far as I know, you don't know the code base anyway. So uh, thank you for your opinion, but I'll file that in a bit bucket. And uh, I know that sounds harsh, but I think a lot of people complain to complain. There's a lot of complaining about things that people have never used. It's, it's the cross your arms and go, well, that just sounds complicated. Okay, great. Have you actually gotten the trenches on this? And do you, and um, truth be told, you know, I, I can't get in the trenches on everything. There are some projects that have just gotten so complicated that I can no longer contribute to. And I feel like a pretty, pretty bright guy. The reason I can't contribute to it is kind of like the next topic of simple versus complicated tribal knowledge. Are you familiar with the term tribal knowledge? So, oh, yeah. you know, it's and for the lay listener, it's basically, well, you know, that entire history from small project to big project. Well, there's one developer who's been on the project the whole time and the other ones have come and gone. And documentation is the code. I love that one. And and for the uh, the bushy-tailed, bright-eyed um, person who wants to document everything, as soon as they get past like the first couple classes and into the third class, those first two classes are already out of date. So, you know, it's like that cycle. But tribal knowledge is yet another thing. It's like, well, dang it. Uh, that one person knows how it works. And the rest of us, man, it's, it's, it's like we go into the Chernobyl reactor. We can go in for 10 minutes, guys, but then we got to get out or we're going to die. You know, we can't, we can't fully explore the place because it's just, it, we just can't. But big, big chief old there. code. Big chief old code, said, old code said it could tumble down at any minute. <laughs> exactly. So you're only allowed 10 minutes in there, then you got to get back out. And so you never really learn the whole thing because you get in, you do your thing, and you get out. And that's the problem with really big repos and tribal knowledge. But I digress. So, wow, we've gone all over the place on this we've one. We've brought it full circle. You want to talk right. about some of this week's headlines? Yeah. See, um, see what we know and what we don't? So, you know, I saw a headline where Apple is closing a backdoor on their devices that will disallow law enforcement from being able to access. So there's a loophole. So there's a port on the phone. Apparently you can connect it to like a Celebrite device. And there's a couple other ones where basically it'll hack your phone without um, triggering the auto self-destruct. And they've closed that. I didn't know that was even open. I didn't either until uh, it was disclosed today. So... Um, couldn't, they another... told, couldn't they have just told the FBI that back with the uh, earlier controversy with unlocking the phone that was what um, eighteen months ago or whatever it was? I don't know. San Bernardino. Uh, Apple is definitely an advocate of privacy, so they're citing in in these articles. They, you know, it's it's not America they're so worried about. It's the countries where you have an oppressive regime that it's police state and they'll give me your phone or else, and we're going to know all your stuff. So. You mean the America of tomorrow? <laughs> uh, no comment. Okay. So um, there's that. Uh, apparently, uh, GitHub had some big news while we were gone. GitHub got bought by Microsoft. And so for me, the only bad thing about that is if I ever have to log in with a stupid Microsoft account, I'm going to probably take a long walk off a short pier. Do you use OneNote at all? No. Okay, so I do. And I log in, you know, it asks you your, you know, your account ID. 
So you type in your email address and then it asks you if it's, you know, is this an account that your IT department set up for you or is it a personal account? Oh God, Azure's the same way. And it's never right. I well, no, I, I got that part right. But the next part where you put your password in, they've got some weird CSS glitch right now where it goes um, no scroll bar on the right, but it like flickers scroll bar, scroll bar. So the, so the whole dialogue box jumps. Oh man. So if you're using like a last pass or something, you have to like do this wiggly thing and touch the thing to get your password to come in. And at first it was like this huge, like annoyance, but now it makes me giggle. Like, because it's, it's, it's kind of a fun little game, but uh, yeah. So hopefully uh, Microsoft doesn't throw that login screen on top of GitHub. So I know a lot of the Microsoft haters. I'm not a Microsoft hater. I hate uh, plenty of other companies, but Microsoft's <laughs> not one of them. Um, are kind of like, you know, puckered rear ends on this going, oh gosh, what, what about all my non microsoft stuff? You know, what's going to happen? I just think they need to chill out. However, uh, um, you know, uh, I did see uh, David, uh, former guest on the show, he had mentioned, uh, hey guys, don't worry, but you'll see something like GitHub SDK Enterprise Editions uh, Service Pack 1 coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> he also had a great tweet about uh ihop changing it to ihob he he was hoping that it was going to stand for bacon but uh a side tangent that's so weird isn't it ihop going to burgers dumbest thing i heard it's only temporary did you see the wendy's um handle on twitter totally roasted them oh there was some super trolling going on it was great if i can remember it was uh Wendy said, we're not really afraid of the, uh, the pancake fl- here, the, uh, the place selling burgers that couldn't even handle pancakes or something. Yeah. Like that. Cause pancakes were too hard. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's great. So the Wendy's account, like, definitely a good follow, even though it's fast food. It, it's so hilarious. Whoever runs that account is gold. Well, somebody, um, somebody, put out a snarky tweet back to Microsoft about how like, you know, when has Microsoft ever cared about open source or something like that? Did you see uh, Hanselman, his reply to that was, you know, utilizing 280 characters, all of them, and just listing all the different open source projects that Microsoft's supported and or been involved with. That's a pretty good reply. Yeah. I mean, let, to be fair, Microsoft has gone through some dark days they're, they look like they're reformers and they're on, well on their way to being less dickish. And so uh, I'm, I'm happy for that because I sure have plenty of haterade for Google and Apple and Facebook right now. So, yeah, I think, I think since I, it was back in 2008 that I was at CMS Expo and Microsoft was all over that with the open source stuff where I did a probably like 3,000 installs of Umbraco through uh, WebMatrix, you know, the had the make love not or make web not war t-shirts and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, speaking so that, of Facebook, did yeah. you see they had another oopsie? This is like a uh, Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> every day, every day. What was um, their latest one? 14 million users. Oh, guys, sorry about that. We accidentally made all your stuff public. Yeah, we toggled it for you. How does that even happen? Our bad. Our bad. Uh, No, this has never happened before 
the other six times uh <laughs> or after anyway it's just really weird i mean it's, they're like teflon man nothing sticks to these people because they can just keep i don't know just doing whatever they want with this whatever violate so they can violate their own terms of service and go oops it was a bug however if you do something they're gonna be like banned booted out of here um so uh yeah anyway moving on here uh what other kind of headlines here you see apple's um they're kind of indicating that they're slowing down production on iPhone. Nothing to worry about, but we're just not going to make as many anymore because apparently the demand is down. Yeah, well, pretty much everyone's got one at this point. Uh, I call that market saturation. Yeah, that is definitely their approaching market saturation. To be fair, though, I did work for a wireless company in 2010 to 2012, and I t- this is right when smartphones were taking off, and I thought the same thing then. Oh my gosh! Everyone's already got a cell phone. Why would this? This is dead. This is, That's why they make them like garbage, though. Like well, they do. They break in eighteen months. They either slow down to the point of being ridiculous, or they just oh yeah, they break. Or your battery just disposable yeah, tech. Um. Okay. So, uh, what other? Is there any other headlines that uh, you think we've missed? I'm sure that there are, and they are all ridiculous. Uh, we've talked about the Google Maps thing already, right? We did that. Yeah, I think we did. Or did we? Anyway. Anyway, Google Maps As is going to start costing people money starting in July 15th or something like that. But you yeah, get I'm 200. Sure. Have you seen the way that they've got this all set up? Everyone gets it. So you have to put your credit card in to use it. But everyone gets a $200 credit. And depending on how you use Google Maps, that $200 can get you a, B, or C. It's so ridiculous. Even, and if you read it, here's what it really says. If you put it in Google Translate, if you take the uh, Google Maps and put it in Google Translate, here's what it says. It says, "Well, we're gonna give we're gonna give you two hundred dollar credit, and then we're gonna take as much as we want. Any other questions? <laughs> we'll decide how much of this two hundred dollar credit you'll actually use." And I'm still just mad at myself because I fell for it all. <laughs> Which part? Just signing that, up for maps to begin with or just that it was going to be free forever. Nothing's oh. free. Well, um, Oh, that does remind me. You see the, you know, clearly Google employees at Google have been watching the Bob and Kevin show on YouTube. The former, the, the artist formerly known as Bob and Kevin YouTube, because <laughs> we had talked about um, the, uh, the revolt, you know, it was a real small segment we did uh, at Google was doing Pentagon, Defense yes. contracts. I meant to bring that headline up. Cool. And Go. it looks like the insurrection has yielded no more new contracts. Though I would love to have seen they just stop the first one, but I guess you know they're probably got some committing or committed to something there. I thought they also committed to not using the technology for weaponry, which I thought was interesting. Yes, but. <sighs> Yeah, the morality of uh, AI and weapons, those those two just don't. It's like you know, getting drunk and going shooting. Hey, let's go shoot. Hey, hold my bear. You know, it's like, all right, it's probably separate these two. But why? Okay, so that makes the maps thing even more frustrating to me because their agreement with the Pentagon was for map-related data, so they were already getting paid for map data. So why are they charging us for map data? since they just got a big, sweet Pentagon contract. Well, that's crap. 
I think there's a lot of greed. You know, I mean, I don't think I, it's short to say that there's a lot of greed in Silicon Valley. Um, when you get a lot of money and you have the prospect of getting more, I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of people say, guys, we have too much. Because either people are just straight greedy or B, people will kind of deflect and say, oh, but we'll, we'll add more to charity. We'll send more to here. We'll do it over here. So I don't think there will be any shortage of greed coming out of Silicon Valley anytime soon. Because if we had people with morals and ethics running Silicon Valley, I don't think we would have our Facebook reaches. Um, I don't think we would have uh, a lot of trouble or questionable things in Silicon Valley. So no shocker to me. Did you hear Jeffy B's made like $42 billion or something like that already this year? <laughs> Just this year? Yeah. No, yeah. So far this year. Yeah. So far. Oh, oh, and counting. Yes. And counting. Oh, uh, no, I hadn't. And thank you for that. Absolutely. <laughs> motivational, <laughs> uh, update. Amazon headquarters 2.0 decision coming sometime soon. Question mark. You know, that kind of fell out of the headlines, right? I still got my envelope around here somewhere of my pick. Mine, mine is right behind me still, but. Um, have you ever uh, played the game Fortnite? Have you, have you ever heard of Fortnite? Uh, my 19-year-old, that's all he does is play Fortnite. All right. My nine-year-old, that's all he does is play. And They're getting I, sued, right? Oh, I don't know. Are they? Yeah. So the whole thing with that game is it's free. Right. Right. There is stuff that you can buy, and there is a campaign Palamas. mode. What? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yep, I'm with there's you. There's a campaign mode that you can also, it's a pay piece of software. But there's another company. The reason why Fortnite is free is because it's almost a replication of another game that was a for sale game. And, of course, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. But so well, they released it as free to get around being know. sued. But when you have the amount of money they're making, I'm not at all surprised that they're getting sued. Hey, guys, look, there's a big pile of money over there, and I'm sure they'll settle with us. So, you know. Your nine-year-old's not buying skins and stuff like that, is he? Uh, no, but I tweeted, I don't know, a week or two ago. I'm like, how is the llamas, the, they call them loot, you, know, the, the, you, you basically have a pinata, and you can buy these, and you get stuff, you know, oh, yeah. stuff, yep. content. So, but you got to buy the llamas. I asked, how is this just not straight gambling? And how, how can you allow children to put in gift cards and money? And there's, there's a chance there. There's no skill whatsoever. This is completely chance dictated by the game manufacturer. Oh, you didn't win. Oh, you got the crappy item. You didn't get nothing. You got something, but nobody wants that thing. It's a common thing. A rare thing. That's a really good question. And I can understand the 18 or older. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's gambling. It's a vice. I'm not against gambling. But when my kid's at nine, now you may say, well, why do you let your nine-year-old play Fortnite? We can have that discussion later, but not right now. <laughs> uh, point is, is um, there's lots of kids. And my, my son isn't like the only nine-year-old in the, in the world. There's lots of people under 18. Playing no, there's games. millions of kids playing that game. Millions. Absolutely. And when I see $300 million made in like, you know, in a short amount of time of Fortnite, I'm like, damn, go. I mean, it's a great game just for the record. It's a great game. However, comma, 
It's not without its controversy. Were you I mean, playing that tonight before we were on there? Is that the game? I, I was not. I, I've played it a few times. I have it on my PC. The kids got it on the Xbox One. Um, now, my, my, uh, my drug of choice is Team Fortress 2, which is, was released in 2008, and I still play it. Um, nice. So t- yeah, 10 years of playing that game. So anyway, uh, Fortnite, it's cool, it's awesome, but I also think that there's some, like, wait a second, there's gambling. Now, it's not just Fortnite. So even Team Fortress, the game I play, you can buy a key for $2.50, and you do the same thing. You open up a loot drop, a loot case, a chest, and you get the thing, and maybe you want it, maybe you don't. And it's So that's still maintained? That, that world is still maintained? Oh, yeah. It, it went from a paid game to a free game, and uh, the trend, and this, this isn't like 2018 trend, this is like maybe 2014 trend and beyond. Um, games are usually free now, and then they have in-game content. It's, so it's like a micro-economy type stuff. So um, you can still, uh, like if you go on Steam, there's tons of free games, and then they, it's funded that way. However, on Steam, there's game prices have come way down because you know back in the day you want a PC game, it's forty nine ninety nine at Electronics Boutique or Walden Software or whatever it was back in the day. And Walden now, you, did you guys have one of those somewhere? Okay, all right. So, oh. oh, totally local uh, then. Um, so yeah, remember when you had to look at the label PC or Mac, and the, like the Mac section was like three games, and the PC section was like three rows or like three three aisles of oh games. yeah and we had max back then at the house too so that was anyway rough. games on steam even if they're pay now they're like 14.99 for like expensive games well like no game- media there's no media anymore so that's got to bring the price way down you'd think but then you look at the xbox and the playstation platforms and those things are still 59.99 whether you get digital download or not or physical copy so yeah, it's hard to predict but anyway Fortnite is interesting. It's cool. It's a, uh, you know, I, I, I'm totally envious. I'm like, damn, I wish I could, I don't know, sweep their floors or something and be like a, a half percenter, you know, or something in the equity. You started some JavaScript game dev playing yeah. around, didn't you? Yeah, it's uh, called Phaser IO. It's version three. I didn't create the, the engine, but uh, I, I inherited it. I have grand plans, so I am a victim of my own ambition, and uh, I have vision to do a, uh, an online multiplayer game. Um, I've, I've had this dream for 10 years or more. I've had various attempts at trying, but I never liked the UI. I'm like, gosh, this is just not worth it because the UI is just stupid. Now, come along these JavaScript HTML5 game engines man, it looks just like an old Nintendo or Super Nintendo. And, and that's actually just fine for me. I don't need like 3D, like realistic graphics. All I need is like 2D platformer jumping around. You know, that's all I need for what I'm trying to build. And I'm practicing by making a Candy Crush clone and just learning mechanics and kind of how to structure things before I go headlong into... Something that I'll probably never finish. Unfortunately, I'll say it up front. But <laughs> you know, quick uh, buy a domain name for it. That'll make the project perfect. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know how how many domains I've bought and just let expire, and I've never done anything with. Yep, because I've done that. Every developer ever, right? <laughs> oh well. 
so no, I'm actually not buying any domain because I've learned that lesson finally. And uh, so, yeah. So how are we doing on time there, Barbarino? Uh We're probably running in that. We're, we're running deep. Um, I was actually just looking at notification on my watch. I wasn't really checking the time. Um, I have no idea how long we've been recording for, but uh, I think that's probably a good jump off point, right? Yeah. Uh, welcome back from vacation. And hopefully we can uh, increase our frequency as we go into the summer. Yeah. Let's get it to weekly. All right. Anything else you want to add or should we? I think thing. you have one more thing that you should uh, get for us, Bob. Bring the lightning. <laughs> <laughs>